performing artists are 10 times more likely to suffer anxiety than the general population, five times more likely to suffer depression. And one of the reasons for this is the difficult, unnatural situations, personal, emotional vulnerability that performing artists have to go through. And the audition is the pinnacle. The audition's actually worse than the performance. It's the hard bit. The performance is getting on with the job. So um, let's just stop and acknowledge that what a bloody awful thing to put someone through. This is House Lights Up, honest conversations with professional performing arts workers about the challenges of forging a career in the arts and strategies for overcoming them. In this first episode, we'll be looking at the road to the stage. For plenty of performers, particularly those who aspire to work in main stage theatre, that road starts with the audition. You've just heard from Gabrielle Edwards, a counsellor who specialises in helping people navigate the challenges of working in the performing arts. She says the audition exemplifies the particular vulnerability of the professional performer. Here's music director Luke Hunter's take on the audition process. Auditions are awful because they're foreign, they're not they're not a performance. They're in a annoying room somewhere. Usually there's tap dancing going on down the corridor and a, and a stereo that's too loud and and you're trying to create a, a space where people can come in and do their work. But that's the daunting thing too is the performers are on display in a team of sometimes, I don't know, maybe 20 people in the room and that's hard, right? Like you're outnumbered, you're outgunned and you've just got to like hold your head up high and, and do the work and hope the best, I guess, you know. I don't think there's a better way to do it, but I wish there was. And it seems that for the performer based in Australia, the stakes of the audition are particularly high. I've sat in on auditions in Broadway and, you know, you turn up to Pearl Studios off New 42nd Street or Ripley Greer or wherever and there are floors, like literally floors full of multiple rooms that have auditions running every day of the week. Right. So the people that come in to audition for whatever show, they've got another audition down the corridor or across the road that day and another three tomorrow and, you know, they would do multiple auditions a week. And I think the difference for us is that our performers might do five or six major musical auditions a year if they're lucky so they're hungry for the work it's a precious thing a precious commodity to have a job I think the very nature of them is knowing and acknowledging that you are putting yourself up to be judged. Matt Haywood is a musical theatre performer whose stage credits include titles like Mamma Mia, Les Mis, The Producers and My Fair Lady. But he notes that even the most successful performer's CV conceals a multitude of unsuccessful auditions. I've been fortunate enough to um, have a very wonderful career and it looks good on paper but um, there's more rejections that have gone along with that CV than successes because that's the very nature of our business. So how does one make peace with this fact of life as a main stage performer? Matt Haywood and Luke Hunter both agree that it starts with the performer's own approach to the entire process of auditioning. 
I try very hard to not give the audition more weight than it deserves. If I didn't have the job yesterday and I don't have the job tomorrow, nothing has changed. David Atkins was my first director on Fame and he said to us, and he's right, he said, just remember that every audition starts with the perfect premise and the perfect premise is that every actor that walks in the door wants a job and the creative team wants to book the best people that there are. So whenever that you walk in as a performer into an audition room, just remember that the creative team want you to be amazing. They want you to be good. They want you to be good because it solves a problem for them. If you walk in and, and, and you're exactly what they're looking for, there's, some, there's like a piece of the puzzle that's slotted into place for them. It's such a simple idea that an audition is a transaction and nothing more, just an impersonal matter of finding the right solution to a given problem. So if the power of the audition setting is purely a matter of perception on the part of the performer, can it really be that simple to strip that power away? It's happened for Matt Haywood once or twice. There was a show that I really wanted to be a part of and I wasn't able to be seen for the part that I wanted to be seen for, but they eventually allowed me to come in for one of the ensemble tracks uh, in a dance capacity. And I'm a singer first. I went into this dance call and absolutely, absolutely embarrassed myself. Like, it was mortifying. I was just not of the right standard with the guys that I was auditioning with. And I left that audition and for some reason... I just decided to find that hilarious rather than heartbreaking. <laughs> and I saw a friend afterwards. She's like, how did you go? And I was like, oh, I got cut straight away. And I was laughing about it. And uh, she's like, are you, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I really am. Like, I just, I just wasn't right. It wasn't me. I can't do anything about that. So, oh, well. <laughs> I met with Councillor Gabrielle Edwards at her workspace in Melbourne. Here, above busy little Collins Street, Gabrielle helps performing artists work through a range of challenges that sadly seem to come with their territory. This includes managing anxiety and minimising the impact of personal issues on one's professional work. Gabrielle also helps performers navigate career choices and develop work-life balance. She lays out for me the approach she would encourage performers to take to the audition process. I would help someone to come into that process knowing that this is hard for everyone and don't look at anyone and think they've got it sussed, that you are all shit scared. You're all feeling those physical reactions. You're all worried about rejection. You're putting yourself on the line. Wow. Gabrielle says that there are three things a performer needs from the very beginning of their career. Perspective, a support network, and a deep enough understanding of themselves to anticipate and brace for the inevitable bumps in the road. So what I would suggest for anyone going into this career really is to be mindful of part of your training is to get a really good understanding of your life journey to date and really feed and nurture and build the other parts of your life besides your craft. Um, often people achieve that through counselling, uh, through journaling, 
um, through lots of reading. But I think at some point, if you're going to have a career in performing arts, it's really important to understand, appreciate, honour um, and learn about your life's journey so far. And also, for the life that you have, make sure there's other parts in it other than your performance. So grow and nurture, enjoy and maintain the other parts of your life as well. Let's draw a picture of you now in your life. Um, what is in your life at the moment? What's happening in those areas? What are your goals? Um, just to get a broader perspective of where the audition sits and to actually have a look at beforehand what happens if you get it. What does that mean? Great. What does not getting this particular gig mean? It means this, not that. What would be your next step? This. So in some ways it's really good to have a very pragmatic um, look at the whole situation before you go into it to gain perspective. But the last thing I would say on that, I mean there's lots to say about it, but um, it'd be great to have a good support network. Your friends and family, um, whatever form it takes, it's really essential to have a good, a good support network. It is for all of us. But, but when you're in this really lonely, vulnerable space... Um, you know, if possible, it's great to have at least one person waiting to hear how do you feel, you know, or to hug you at the end. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's, there's no way around it. It's an excruciating process and it's a real sort of power dynamic and you're giving your all and the stakes are high. So all of those things that help you gain perspective um, are worth looking at and undertaking. So who are the people on the panel judging you at an audition? Music director Luke Hunter may well be one of them. Here's his perspective on the audition process from the other side of the fence. I always remember that I was a performer once. Like, I'll never forget what that experience is like. Um, so I, I think I sit on a panel with that as the, my underlying thought every time someone walks in the room. And also always, like, I'm always trying to be respectful of the work that everyone's put into before they've walked in the room in the first place but then you've got to make a decision about what's right and what you know is going to be needed and where people fit or if they don't fit. The inescapable truth according to Luke is that when it comes to the audition there is always going to be more outside of the performer's control than within it. There's so much about the show no matter how much you research it there's so much that you're not going to know you're not going to know the real intricacies of the ins and outs of who they've cast in various productions, what they've found has worked, what they've found hasn't worked and why. Um, so you, as an actor, and I did this when I was an actor too, you can walk in and think, I am right for this show, like I am right. But you might be three centimetres too short or... Um, They've found that it's better to have a true tenor in that role rather than a high baritone. And that might not even be on the casting brief, but suddenly you don't fit the bill and you don't know why. And you might not ever get told that's the curse of being a performer as well too. So I think there are some things that you do that we probably do make very quick judgments on. So you may just not be the right height, look or pitch. 
But then what does the audition process look like for someone who sits a little closer to the edge of the bell curve? Rachel Dunham knows. A natural performer with a powerful voice and a striking look, it took Rachel some time to become comfortable with herself in the audition room, knowing she was never going to be your typical main stage musical performer. As a result, Rachel didn't start auditioning until she was well into her singing career. But I've always said that for me, in regard to being on stage with big main stage shows, I had to grow into myself because I'm fairly niche. I'm a big girl, I've got large features, I've got an interesting look, but I've got a leading lady voice. And that's fabulous how that screws with directors when you're in an audition room. It's just like, <laughs> like you'd see them sitting there going, I really want her, I haven't got anything for it, but I really want her, could we make something? It's, <laughs> you can see the, the brain ticking. And then the musical director and the director will have an argument because the musical director and, and it's like, guys, look, the end of the day, I'm probably not right for anything. Should I help you sort this out? But I did start auditioning and um, not the funnest thing in the world. Um, I'm sure in most other industries it would probably go against all the anti-discrimination laws, everything that happens in an audition room. You know, but you grow up knowing that you've either got the look or you don't. And I don't, but I had to grow into it. And finally, in my 40s, I had grown into myself. And, and people were starting to write roles that were a bit different. So Rachel landed herself her first big main stage musical role in her 40s. It was a principal lead she was perfect for, Justice Charlier in Rock of Ages. But Rachel is someone who has seen firsthand how not looking like your typical main stage performer can stifle your opportunities in an already overcrowded audition scene. You know, some performers are the right style of performer that eventually they will go on to do back to back to back once they get their name in the right place, um, that sort of thing. I was never going to be that performer so once I realized after a couple of big auditions that oh this isn't going to happen that easily again because Rock of Ages was incredibly easy for me to get it was stupid. So what's a performer to do when the industry isn't offering up audition opportunities? For Rachel the answer was to create her own original work. A few years ago she wrote and starred in Oprahfication a one-woman cabaret show about Oprah Winfrey. And when she took the production to New York, Rachel was struck by a marked difference in approach to performers of diverse backgrounds. Musical theatre in Australia have decided that I'm black. And when I performed in New York and I played an Australian chick playing the most famous black woman in the world, let alone America, and they, and I was told before I went over, don't worry, no one will question it. They're... They have had such a history of vile racism in that country that they they don't... Someone wants to get up there and do a thing. If you're good enough, they won't even question it. And they didn't. And, in fact, I got told by people if I was based in New York, there would be at least four roles that I could go and audition for tomorrow. And they were a mixture of every coloured skin tone you could think of. Um, Because they just don't see it. Um, over here, uh, that's what I get sent for, the older, mature black woman or similar ethnicity. 
I get it's a bit to do with my voice as well. I, I get that. But yeah, they just aren't they just aren't the roles to, to go and audition for. But that's kind of why I just went out and wrote Oprah. Was because I needed to do something. I've always been the outsider. I've always not been right, not been quite right, been really wrong, any version of that. But I think that's why I've had a very different journey to most performers as well. I do it for different reasons. There's so much more to Rachel's story and you'll hear plenty more from her and other artists in future episodes. Back to the audition. In the awful but precious few minutes a performer gets in an audition room, what can they do to regain a bit of the power? What can the performer control? Music director Luke Hunter shares his thoughts. You can control how prepared you are. So that is how well you've looked over the material and are familiar with it. doesn't necessarily mean that you have to know it by heart, but you're really familiar with it. And you have some understanding of the show and the way that the show plays, you know, what energy is required, what style of performance it is, uh, the way that the material that you've been given is incorporated into that bigger picture. That's something that you can control. And then if you if you're prepared to work in the room if you can walk out of an audition room and say i was listening to what they said i made the adjustment that they asked me to do to the best of my ability i was prepared to be flexible and prepared to throw all of the work that i'd done out the window and go on a different track that they were asking me to go on and attempted to do that think that's what makes a good audition and if as a performer if you can leave the space and say I was prepared I knew the material I'd done my research when I walked in the room I was ready to work and I tried to do what they asked me to do to the best of my ability then big green tick you know that's that's a successful audition whether you get a callback or not because the thing that might not have got you a callback is not that you weren't talented and not that you weren't making adjustments the way they wanted you to or you know it might just be that they could have precast the role without telling you or you're too short or too tall or something that you you know may or may not ever find out about in the future so I think as long as you can walk out of that room and say I did those things then you you walk away with your head held high regardless of the outcome. So although rejection has no place on the performer's CV, an unsuccessful audition is not necessarily a failed audition. Creative teams want you to do well in the audition room and having foundations in place for mental health and well-being, like a support network, a good understanding of yourself and the all-important intangible of perspective will help you survive the realities of the audition process. One last thought from Councillor Gabrielle Edwards on approaching the audition with a balanced perspective. Look for stories. Track down authentic stories from other artists. How, what a great way to demystify and crack myths. But when I say look for stories, be really discerning. There's a lot of PR out there. Don't look for the, the PR story of, you know, someone rising through the ranks and the heights that they're... No. Look for the authentic stories. Look for the the, the artists who are prepared to tell their story. Authentic stories. That's what we'll be uncovering and sharing in the coming episodes. Next time on House Lights Up, 
I actually couldn't bear the thought of that feeling of anxiety attached to my performance. That conversation with the two little people in my head, you know, what am I doing here? Why am I doing this? The brain does these weird and wonderful things in a long run that just makes things really hard again, you know. What are you doing? You shouldn't be thinking about Vietnamese. You should be thinking about the music. It's the cruelest joke on the spoken word performer ever. House Lights Up is a podcast by Ali Imlach, presented by the Arts Wellbeing Collective, an Arts Centre Melbourne initiative dedicated to promoting positive mental health and wellbeing in the performing arts. A very special thanks goes out to the seven incredible people who generously contributed their time, insight and personal experience to this project. Greta Bradman, Rachel Dunham, Gabrielle Edwards, Matt Haywood, Luke Hunter, Zoe Knighton and Rob Tremlett. For more information, head to the Arts Wellbeing Collective website at artswellbeingcollective.com.au.